This is BirdieCast. A podcast about making light of life on tour. We're your hosts, professional golfers Maya Schechter and Leslie Klutz. I'm Russ Ortiz, former Major League All-Star and owner of 2GG Apparel. After my playing career, I wanted to do something to make a positive impact on other people's lives. I started 2GG Apparel to do just that. We give 100% of our net profits to charity. With our premium golf apparel line for men and women, you will not only look good, but you will feel good and know you are helping to change lives. You can shop now at 2GGapparel.com. For all your listeners, you can use BirdieCast25 at checkout for 25% off your next purchase. 2GG Apparel. Look good. Feel good. Change lives. I'm Maya. And this is Leslie. And this week we have Susie Whaley with us who is played for UNC Chapel Hill. So um, we have met each other through kind of this common love for uh, UNC and being Tar Heels. So uh, we're really excited to have you on today. And so Susie, you played for UNC Chapel Hill and you played professional golf and um, we've kind of chatted a little bit about your experiences on tour, and um, I think kind of a cool little gold star is in 2003, you became the first woman in 58 years to qualify for a PGA event, um, which was the Greater Hartford Open, um, so maybe we can chat about that a little bit later. And in 2014, you became the PGA Secretary, and you're currently the Vice President of the PGA of America. Um, which you assumed that role in 2016, and you're in line to be the PGA, the president of the PGA here soon. And Very I soon. also <laughs> found kind of a cool little tidbit that your first love was downhill skiing. True. So <laughs> true. I thought that was kind of you're just an athlete who then found golf and have yeah, worked your I, way through the industry. Well, here. first, th- thanks for having me. I love being a Tar Heel. Yeah. Uh, I love my daughter's a Tar Heel. Uh, and uh, one of my daughters, anyway. Um, but I grew up in Syracuse, New York, where it's freezing nine months of the year. And the only thing really to do is ski or skate. And uh, I love sports. So I was a four-sport athlete. And by the time the snow fell, I was ski- on a ski hill all, all the time since I was three. And uh, so I went away actually to boarding school in high school for ski racing. I trained at Green Mountain Valley School uh, uh, to be to go to the Olympics, and that was my goal. And uh, I got hurt my junior year in high school, hmm. and it kind of sidetracked uh, that. Wouldn't, doesn't mean I would have gotten there, right? But um, I did spend some time at the Olympic Training Center and, and loved it. But unfortunately, uh, that didn't work out. But I'd always loved golf too. So in high school, I qualified for the U.S. Open for golf and. I kind of turned my attention to golf. Yeah, very And cool. I still ski, and it's great, and the injury has no long-lasting effects. But yeah. if you ask me today, uh, I had two choices. I could go skiing or play golf. Which one would I pick? And I love golf more than anything except skiing. I would pick really? skiing. Really? Yeah, I would still, go skiing uh-huh. right now, right from here. Take me on a helicopter. Let's go. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. What <laughs> yeah. about skiing? So they're both like individual sports then. Is that something that you'd... Like just the common pursuit of perfection, or what made you yeah, love you know, skiing? I mean, when going you think fast. about my sports, um, honestly, the two that I pursued the most were individual sports. Um, ridiculously competitive. It doesn't mean that team sport players aren't, no. 
but I found great gratification in pushing myself, mm -hmm. right, to the limits that I thought I could do. So I still love team sports, but the two that stood out for me were both individual. Yeah, interesting. Cool. I guess um, we kind of wanted to, so you went from being a player to, and then, so playing in college and then playing professionally, and then what prompted your decision to then go into, like, teaching and that yeah. sort of things. Uh, so my career has been all over the map. So when I got out of college, I was going to go to law school. And uh, that particular summer, I played in two LPGA tour events as an amateur. And I played well enough to get some attention from some sponsors who approached me and said, hey, you know, we're willing to pay for you to go to tour school. Are you interested? And I had never even really considered turning pro, not even in college. Hmm. And uh, I went home and I told my parents that instead of going to law school, I was going to go to tour school. And my mom, and my dad's amazing, but my mom's incredibly amazing, or was incredibly amazing, and she said, well, you can always go back to law school. This is something you want to try, you should try it. And oh. there started my journey into golf, right, yeah. into professional golf. So I went to tour school, I got my card. Um, first time around, I got a, a non-exempt card. It wasn't exempt, it was a conditional card. But at the time, we had 36 tour events domestically. Mm -hmm. So I got in oh. like 26 events. It was, yeah. it was like wow. playing full-time now. Yeah. Um, and so I, oh. it was in Sweetwater, Texas. I ended up uh, hiring Debbie Massey's caddy. His name was Tabby. Without him, I never would have gotten my card. He literally maneuvered me around the golf course every <laughs> shot. Uh, hit it here, hit it here. Hit it here, hit it here, do this, do that. <laughs> and he was amazing. I had never had a professional caddy. Debbie Massey was a ski racer, which is what the connection was and how okay. I got him as my caddy. And um, went out on tour. You know, yeah. got my card and looked at my mom and I said, what do you think we do now? She's like, I'm not really sure, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play golf. Yeah, and you know, as we chatted about a little bit earlier, you know, this wasn't the time when you grew up with four tournaments a week locally and national events like AJGA and The Optimist and Junior Worlds and international competition before college. Uh, we had, uh, you know, USGA Junior Girls to try to qualify for, the PGA Junior Girls, our state championship. And if you were good enough, you could try to qualify for the USAM and the US Open. That was it. That's mm -hmm. all we had to really compete and play in. Right. So by the time we got to college, we, you know, it was a big deal to play team golf and competitive golf as much as we did. Um, but we weren't, you know, I wasn't anywhere near tournament savvy to go out on tour. I was good, but not tournament savvy. There's a big right. difference. Yeah. yeah. So just... Those guys that wanted to financially support you to go to Q school, what do you think was in it for them? Well, I think they were hoping that I would perform well enough to make them some money. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. they gambled poorly. <laughs> I made so there three was a cuts. percentage. Oh, yeah. So, you know, at the time, and, and still today, typically, if you're going to take somebody's money that's going to pay, you know, you have to earn enough to pay it back. Right. And then there's some sort of revenue share right. above yeah. and beyond that. And that was the arrangement we had made. Um, I obviously made far less than they put in, um, and I think $2,400, something like that. I made three cuts my first year on tour. It was rough, um, but, you know, and I lost my card. I mean, it just, I went back to tour school and flat lost my card. I remember standing at a payphone, which there were such a thing then, uh, and that's where you called your parents, you know, and mm -hmm. hysterically crying that yeah. I had lost yeah. my card and what should I do. Yeah. Right. It's hard. Yeah, for sure. So how you played professionally then um, for how many years? Yeah, so I played professionally that year, lost my card, stayed professional. 
was going to go back to law school but didn't, took a waitressing job at night so that I could make enough money to keep playing during the day. Hmm. Um, so using my economics degree, well, yes, exactly. <laughs> but I went to the best steakhouse where I thought I could make the most money, oh, uh, yeah. made enough money to keep playing that, that year, went back to tour school, got my card back, oh. um, was married in the in-between time, mm-hmm. and then once I got back on tour uh, and married, I was pregnant with my first daughter, Jen. Okay. And uh, I was playing much better that year, but not, you know, not compelling enough to for me to want to stay out there with a baby. Yeah. Uh, so I left the tour after that year and had Jen in 94. That was 93. Had Jen in 94. Great year in 94. It was a great year. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And uh, an amazing year, actually. And um, I started to stay. I, you know, I'd worked since I was 14, and I was staying home with Jen and driving everybody crazy because I'd always worked. And mm-hmm. Bill was at a club called Ibis at the time in Palm Beach, my husband. And Jim Flick was there. Jim Flick and Bob Toskey were there teaching their golf schools with wow. Martin Hall, Mike Malaska, Charlie Epps, Laird Small, Dean Rymouth, uh, Mark Wood, Kathy Wood, some of the, oh, I mean, gosh. if you look up top teachers today, yeah. they're all top 100s. And uh, he said, why don't you come out and see if you can just watch if you might be interested in, in teaching. So I said, that, gosh, that'd be great. So I got a sitter from our local church, right, to watch Jen, and uh, off we went, and I ended up working for Jim Flick for seven years. I learned mm-hmm. more than I can ever imagine in instruction and coaching from him, uh, how to be with people, how to change behavior, how to teach golf. I mean, I sat with Martin Hall, I mean, I was Martin's, I sat in the bunker while he taught day after day after day after day after day, short game, and yeah. I learned from them, right? right? They were amazing mentors. And so I, I fell in love with coaching and teaching. My mom was a teacher, she's a university professor, and um, I always had been attracted to it anyway, so it became my, my passion. Um, but at the same time, um, I was still working full-time. Once I left Jim Flick, I got a head pro job. Um, I, well, first I took an assistant golf professional job as a teacher in Connecticut, uh, once my husband had moved there for his job with the tour. And then I had had Kelly. She was like mm-hmm. six weeks old at the time, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go to work. I wanted to go teach, so I took a local country club job mm-hmm. in teaching, loved it. I got offered a couple years later a head pro job at a public golf course, which I ended up doing. Huge challenge, because I'd never really done that. That was yeah. amazing. And then I started to really play well. That's when I started to play my best golf, was when mm-hmm. the girls were, when I was about 34, 35, 36, far better than I'd ever played on tour. Okay. And um, I started to win events locally. I started, you know, I joined the PGA and the LPGA by then. Um, I started to have more opportunity to play, and that's um, where... I ended up winning my section championship to qualify for the GHL. Yeah. So once I qualified, I never expected they would ever allow me to play in that. When I won that tournament, I just entered that tournament to win the tournament. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and to make a nice paycheck and yeah. say, great, good for us. Um, but when they allowed me to play in it, obviously the, my world turned upside down. Yeah. Um, because I had, oh. by the next day, um, over 350 interview calls. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I did over 2,800 interviews that year around the world. And uh, I had um, Jen and Kelly, who at the time, were when I first qualified, were probably uh, five and eight. And I had a full-time job as a head golf professional. Bill had a full-time job as a general manager. And then I was going to try to compete against the best male golfers in the world in nine months. Right. With That's... all of that on my plate. So, it, you know, so I started working out three hours a day. I started getting up at four o'clock in the morning. I, you know, you, you figure out very quickly that, you know, you have to manage your time amazingly well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's what we did. I had great supports, to, you know, friends, family, helping. Yeah. But it was, um, it was a lot. Huh. 
So you didn't actually go into it with like, I want to play in a PGA Tour event. Oh my gosh, It just kind of fell on your plate. Our section championship, the PGA Connecticut section, has an exemption for that particular event to the GHO. Right. Right? So it's just attached to it. Hmm. But, you know, I never, nobody would ever have the, you would never expect, oh, well, they'll give it to a woman. Right. Right? So it was just, I won. Great. Yeah. You know, there was no cameras there. There was no media there. There's no nothing there. And then I got a phone call. They brought a phone out, like with a cord. (gasps) Right? And said, you know, you have a phone call. I thought it was Bill. He was supposed to yeah. come watch the last couple holes. So I was like, oh, he didn't make it or something. He's just probably got stuck at work. Yeah. But I wanted to tell my one. Yeah. And it was a tour representative asking me if I was going to take the exemption. Oh. It was literally right after I signed my scorecard. Were, were huh. you just like, yes, of course? No. Did I you said think something about ridiculously it? stupid that said, can I think about it? <laughs> <laughs> and they went, uh, sure okay. <laughs> Exactly what happened. This long pause. Okay, and then uh, I hung up the phone, and my mom was with me. She caddied for me, and uh, my mom was my best caddy ever. And then I had kindergarten orientation that night, so I was trying to get home to kindergarten orientation. So that's what I did. I rushed home to get to kindergarten orientation. I ran out. I wanted to be the good mom, right, and not miss that. Yeah. Came back home after that. Bill and I had a glass of wine. We're like, great day. Went to bed. Wow. Right. Honestly, that's was the end of it. Until oh. 6.30 the next morning. Yeah. When the phone started ringing. Yes. Literally. Scott Gray. First radio phone call I got live on the air at 6.30. Whoa. Says you're live on the air. Are you going to play? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I, you know, I just thank the PG of America and the tour for giving me the opportunity because so many doors opened for me after I did that. Yeah? Oh, you think that yeah. that was big for your career then moving? I do. Forward. I do think it was. I mean, I think it was big for women's golf. It was the first year women's golf was on the covers of magazines, yeah. right? Annika was on the cover of a golf publication. I was on the cover. Michelle Wee was on the cover. We had never gotten the covers. Yeah. We had never, women had never, even if they won major championships, were on the covers. So I was proud to be a part of that. Yeah. Right. I was proud, proud to be part of that story that mm-hmm. people were talking about women in golf. Whether people agreed with me playing or not, um, it was great that women's golf was getting attention yeah. and that we were showcasing the fact that women are good yeah. you know, at yeah. golf. And even if you're not good, that you could play yeah. the game and enjoy it and have fun doing it and work hard to reach your goals. And I think that was really my messaging. I wanted to show my girls at a very young age that it kind of circles back to your first question about rookies, you know, push yourself. Get out of your comfort zone. It's not easy, but it's the greatest thing you'll ever do. Yeah. Because you'll learn so much from it. Yeah. And that's what happened for me. Yeah. So then moving to like your career in the PGA and um, kind of as you step into the role of president, like what you just said about women's golf and how, I mean, we can play great golf, but it's also just even accepting that like women can play oh yeah in general is that one of your big initiatives or is, are there things that you're looking yeah we at? have a ton of initiatives <laughs> um but we have twenty nine thousand members the pga of america and a lot of times people get the pga tour and the pga america confused right mm-hmm. they're two separate entities mm-hmm. uh the pga of america owns and operates major championships which is what makes it confusing so the pga tour obviously both of you know is what you see on television mm-hmm. you know week in and week out but we the pga of america also own the pga championship the Ryder cup the kpmg women's pga championship the kitchen Senior PGA Championship, our member championships. So we run championships, uh, but we also represent the 29,000 people who work in the industry. Mm-hmm. So it could be anything from working for a manufacturing company that's in golf, it could be the general manager of a local golf course, it could be the owner 
of a golf course. It could be an account executive. It could be somebody in IT or communications or marketing. Um, could be a PGA professional. It can be female. It can be male. Um, so we are incredibly diverse as far as what we do for a living. Uh, but our differences is that we are in the industry working and playing, where the tour professionals are playing full time for a living. Um, and they're also growing the game by obviously a fan base and um, yes. you know giving clinics and things like that. But our side of it typically is the one that's kind of local and and trying to get people out to golf courses to play the game. Yeah. Right? So, you know, for me, the Teach of America has been uh, an enormous. Uh, challenge as well as just this wonderful opportunity. I love wearing the badge. I love representing golf. Yeah. Uh, I love sharing, to your point, absolutely we need more women on golf courses. We need more girls on golf courses. We need our golf courses to look like the communities we live in. We need more people of diverse backgrounds on golf courses if we're going to be successful into the future. Mm -hmm. The game's not going anywhere. The game is here to stay, but the game needs to evolve as far as who gets to play it and the welcome factor of get, making sure everybody understands how to get involved what the steps are to get involved, and that we welcome them to get involved. And I think that's really more the initiative, is for us to become more inclusive than we are today. Mm -hmm. Is that something you've felt being a woman in this industry, uh, kind of climbing the totem pole? Is Have you felt at all unwelcomed being a woman in this industry, or is yeah. that... You know, I'm so lucky. No, there's oftentimes women that I've spoken to have, so it would be unfair of me to say that doesn't happen. Uh, but for me, no, yeah. because I grew up really not seeing anything differently. I, I My opportunities in high school were to play in a boys' team, right? And my parents were, were, look, if you want to play golf, you have to make that team. It wasn't necessarily ever told to me that it was unfair, mm -hmm. that there wasn't a girl's option. It was just, here's your options. Play hard, go beat them. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. and, and, and so I, I grew up playing with boys on golf courses who became my best friends, right? When I first started playing with women was in college. Mm -hmm. I, I really only played with boys. Right, so I, to answer your question, every, everything I've ever done, uh, including when I joined the PGA, there, at the time there was only 3% women that were in the association. I, I honestly didn't look at it that way. I mean, we're only to six now, right out of 29,000, right? So, but it's doubled, but at the same time, you know, um, I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it as I'm, I'm a PGA professional that earned the right to wear the badge. Yeah. I've never thought of myself as, oh, I'm a woman who's trying to affect change. But because I'm a woman and because I have a voice and a seat at the table, I get to affect change, yeah. right? But it wasn't intentional uh, as I'm going to be the first woman. I think anytime you're a first at something, very rarely is it intentional. It happens because you put in the work and the effort and have been respected enough to achieve it. Right? And that's the way I want to be looked. I think it's pretty obvious I'm a woman. I don't have to talk about it. <laughs> <That's> right? <good. laughs> yeah. Right? And I, and I tell women all the time, look, that doesn't mean I don't uh, stand up for sometimes what I feel maybe is unintentional bias, right? Unconscious bias, I think, is something we all have, including women. But I think it's important that we get more women involved in leadership for our association, right? So it's, it's always best, I think, to have diverse thought. Mm -hmm. And we have to do better of getting diverse thought in our boardroom, uh, with our supplier chains, uh, with our consumers. Right? Diverse thought, I think, evolves everything and yeah. raises all boats. I think one single-minded thought, that makes it hard to change tradition. What was the process huh? like to get into being involved with the PGA and like, kind of like climbing that ladder? Right, so I joined the LPGA first. In 1996, I got my Class A LPGA status, which you ended up you, you go through an education process after college, um, 
where you um, there's exams and peer review and instruction. It was a wonderful way for me to get involved initially. And the reason I chose the LPGA is not only because I had played on tour and I, I kind of knew that, but my husband was PGA. Um, but at the time, the PGA of America didn't allow you to join if you worked less than a 40-hour work week. Mm-hmm. And I had two babies and was not working a 40-hour work week. Mm-hmm. The LPGA at the time allowed it. So you could work 25 hours and join. So I thought, well, I'll just I'll join there, right? So that's what I did. That's where I started. And then I started getting aggravated. The fact that I couldn't play in as many tournaments that my husband could, that I couldn't do as much education as my husband could. And he called me out, as he typically does. He says, well, then you need to get involved. You need to join. And at that point, the PGA had eliminated that rule. The 40-hour rule. Correct. Um, but I was working at that point. I was also working that much, way more, double probably. <laughs> um, and so I said, "All right, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to join." And so I went through their whole education process, which is extensive. Um, mm-hmm. It took me it took me about two and a half years. You have eight years to do it, but it took me about two and a half years to get through it. I was thrilled I did it. I learned so much and met so many great people doing it. Um, so I, when I got my Class A, it was in 2001. And once I got my Class A, again, you know, I would start mouthing off about things that I thought should be different. But so I joined a committee. I'm like, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to join a committee. And I picked one that I liked. You know, I picked player development. Okay. And then once I did that committee, they asked if I'd be on the communications committee because I know I had worked for ESPN and done some television work. So I said, great, you know, what do you want to do? They said, we want to have these golf tips on local TV. Will you help? Yeah, of course. So I ran these golf tips for us on television. And then I joined the sponsors and marketing committee because I had to integrate with sponsors for those golf tips. And made some great connections. And then they're like, well, can you do this? And I said, well, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And then they said, well, we would be on our board of directors. And I thought, well, okay, yeah, that, that'd be good. I'll, I'll do that. So I ran for that. It was an election. I got elected. So I sat on the board of directors for three years. And my executive director said, would you ever run for district director for the national board of directors? And I said, yeah, no, I, I don't, I, you know, I haven't thought about that. I my time, I, I, don't, I don't know, and I, honestly, it was really, I never thought about it. So I thought, well, and I got home, and of course, in typical fashion, I talked to Bill, and I said, that's not, I probably, that's probably not something I should do, right? <laughs> he said, well, why not? Why wouldn't you do it? And he said, he goes, well, why would you do it, and why wouldn't you do it? And I thought about, well, what, why really did I become a PGA professional, what do I want to accomplish in the process, right? Yeah. And for me, it was the overwhelming desire was to help others, right? To help people like us who love the game, we're passionate about it, uh, we're struggling with their compensation, or we're struggling with their employment, or we're struggling with their education. Uh, how could we help and inspire them to either be their best selves for their families, their own world, and could I be a part of that, right? And I knew this was a way that I could dramatically be a part of that. Um, so I ran. And I ended up winning. <laughs> so then I went on to the national board, right? And that's a three-year term. And then when I was done with that three-year term, we had accomplished so many great things, but there were so many things we hadn't accomplished that I thought would be to benefit our members that I thought we could still do. Um, but we, it would take time, and it would take uh, great leadership by everybody on the board. And I, I really loved the people I was working with and the staff I was working with, and I knew they had a a single-minded vision and focus for our strategic plan. And so I spent a full year campaigning around the country to 41 sections. Um, You know, the majority, I think there were three women that voted, the rest were all men. And uh, you have to win a majority vote. And uh, and I ended up winning. 
and so that's how I became secretary. But so now I sit as vice president. It's an eight-year term. It's two years secretary, two years vice president, two years president, and two years honorary president. Mm -hmm. um, all of which is volunteer, and uh, you know it's something that I'm thrilled I did. So yeah. it seems like you climbed the ladder, not really like I want to get to the top. It's like oh, here's the next job. I'm going to do this as well as I can, and then you just kind of. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in that. Yeah. Right? I think uh, you strive for excellence in the seat you're in. Yeah. Right? And if you strive for excellence in the seat you're in, oftentimes opportunities yeah. come up for you. It doesn't mean I didn't have goals. It doesn't mean I didn't have dreams and I was just going to wait for them to come to me. But it did mean whatever I was doing at the time, whether I was picking the driving range, whether I was cleaning up the turf, whether I was directing a team, whether I was with my children, whether I was uh, in front of the counter, whatever I was doing in the moment, and I still live by that, it needs to be the absolute best me for that moment. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's disrespectful to the people that I'm working for, or it's disrespectful to me, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm not interested in doing things poorly. I am interested in learning. So if I do them poorly, it's just a process and a journey. Mm -hmm. So I look at it as a growth mindset, Right, I, yeah. I'm definitely not a fixed mindset person. No. So striving for excellence is so, I know it's used all the time, it's such a cliche, um, but it is how I try to live my life. Yeah, is that something you've cultivated or have you? do you feel like that's just how you were raised and how you? I think my challenges, I think my failings, right? The things that I really hold dear to my heart that I wish I could have done differently is because I didn't, hmm. right? I didn't strive for excellence. I, I didn't do everything I could. Uh, in my power, because oftentimes you don't have the opportunity in your power to do everything you can, but there were things I could have done differently mm -hmm. that I didn't. And I think if people understand that you're, you're gonna fail, and you know what, it, it, everybody says this, it really at the moment feels horrible, mm -hmm. but it puts you a step up for the next time. Yeah. Right. And I haven't spoken to anybody that in, in my last four years in the seat I'm in, I get to, I get to be with these incredible women, right, and men. Um, who are so successful, none of whom doesn't have a story of failure, mm -hmm. of uh, loss. Not, not a one of them, right? But they'll tell you that if it hadn't happened, they wouldn't be where they are now. Right. right? And I think you have to, when you're young, you really have to, all of us say it, you have to believe it because we wouldn't say it if it weren't the case. Yeah. So let's say you're out there on the Symmetra tour for, gosh, five years, right? All you have to do is look to Justin Rose's record, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I know it's hard, and some people aren't going to have that resilience and that grit to hang in there, and that's okay. You know, some people will veer off and say, you know what, I've given it. I've given it everything I have, and mm -hmm. I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to go do something else great. But if you have that grit, there's just example after example. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people that didn't get their card 12 times in a row Yeah. who have won tour events. Yeah. Women and men, right? So I just think you have to realize that so long as when you screw it up, you actually take a moment not in that moment. <laughs> That's when everybody tries to do it. Uh, like the worst part is somebody says to you, okay, now let's talk about all the good things you did today, mm -hmm. right? I just wanted to like chuck my clubs up. <laughs> like I do not want to talk yeah, right yeah, now about all the good things the I trunk. did today. Like oh. can you give me like 45 minutes to wallow in my self-pity, yeah. right? Which Look it. It is what it is. Yes. And then you gotta say to yourself, all right, enough of that, right? Okay, I had my little moment of drama, and I'm gonna go back out and I'm gonna pot, 
Right. But I sometimes we get lost in that, right? Where we think, oh, okay, what could I do better? What are the things I messed up? You just can't do it, in my opinion, then. Yeah. Because your brain isn't wired for that. Like, we're <laughs> human, right? It hurts when you stink. Yeah. Especially when you've put so much work in. Yeah. Because it doesn't equal, right? The equation doesn't equal. Everybody will tell you, oh, put all this hard work in and you're going to get it. Yeah. Not always. Not always. No. And get over it. <laughs> because it's, that's not the way it works, right? But if you keep at it and you have grit, and that's why when you get it, enjoy it and celebrate it and be thrilled by it. Because I also see the other end. I see people go, well, I should have won. I expected to win, right? And they kind of play it down. Why would you ever do that when you take the other side so yeah. hard, right? Instead, celebrate it and you get, you get a day. You get a day, right? It's like your birthday. Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> and then the next day, guess what? Game's over. Yeah. Back at it. Back at it. I think that is very sound advice going into Q school. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Just... Q school. Okay, so I read <laughs> Sam yes. Walton's book the second time I went to tour school. Um, I, sorry, I can't What's remember the, the name called? of it. It's about Walmart. Okay. And it's by Sam Walton's the founder of Walmart, right? You can find it still. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of it. And it has nothing to do with golf. Right, it has to do with grit, mm. and it ha- and there's a book called Grit too. But it has mm. to do with understanding the process for what you want to accomplish, right? And and what I got out of that book, and I read it every night before tour school, was like three little tidbits that kept me in the moment and in my process, right? It wasn't tour school wasn't the just like we talked about earlier. It wasn't the end all. And the golf ball doesn't know I'm at tour school. Golf ball has no clue. It's an inanimate object, right? And 150 yards at tour school is the same as 150 yards at Finley in a practice day. That never changes, right? What can you control and what can't you control, right? So at tour school, you can't control who you play with. You can't control your tee time. You can't control the weather, right? I mean, those are things that are totally out of your control, so get over it. If you wake up and it's pouring in the morning and the afternoon gets it clear, do not talk about it because you can't control that. Right, and what you'll do is you'll wallow in your self-pity of your conditions were different. This is mm-hmm. not fair. That 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 is wasted energy, right? What can you control at tour school? You can control your emotional state. You can control your nutrition. You can control your schedule and your workout, and you can control your golf swing, because you did not forget how to hit a golf ball just because it's tour school, right? So what I did was every shot was just that. Okay, it's 150 yards. Wind's coming out of the right. I'm trying to hit the center of the green. I played to the middles of the greens on every hole, every one, because I knew I could two-putt from there and mm-hmm. probably make four of them, mm-hmm. right? So if you two-putt from there and make four of them, you shoot 68, you got your card. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I don't mean to make it sound so simple, but no, it's in great. tour school, um, it's how I got through it. And I can control where I stayed. I can control who I stayed with. I can control the amount of time I spent on the phone. I can control what I was doing in my off time. And I knew for me, my off time was best spent quietly, enjoying a book, getting a few tidbits out of it. I didn't watch a lot of TV. I just didn't want to be, I didn't want to be distracted. Um, and because I had been there before, because I had lost my card so many times, probably helped because I knew what I needed to get done, yeah. right? But to think about the end before it starts, to think about what you need to get. I think it's great to dream and see yourself holding that card. I think you should visualize that. I think you should 
see what that picture looks like in your mind. I think you should talk to yourself about what you're going to say. I would do the interview, right, in your head because all of that can fool your brain into thinking you've already accomplished it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But once you're playing, you're playing. That that's all peripheral. That's all. You, know, you have to be able to see yourself there to get there. Yeah. Right. But you have to stay in the moment to get there, and that's not easy. That's hard. Yeah. But you can do it. You just have to find your own way of of doing it. And nobody's way is going to be the same. Right. And sometimes friends shouldn't stay with each other. To be honest with you. Right. That was my experience and has been my experience sometimes in Q school is literally I just don't talk to anyone. <laughs> Cause I think it's hard. Because what if, you know, what if the two of you were staying together? What if Leslie had a great day mm-hmm. and you didn't play that great, right? And yeah. you're like, good for you and you mean it. And then she's kind of like, okay, well, you can get that. I mean, you're just wasting energy. <laughs> yeah. Right. That you got to be selfish. Right. At tour school. Sure. Right. How it's your career. You, so kind of building off of that, like, even with you and Bill, then how did you guys in the relationship deal with like when you played well or didn't play well? How was like post round yeah. conversations? Great, because he had lived it. Yeah. I mean, Bill played on tour. And uh, so it was always, it, this is what we always told our children. And I think Kelly would, <laughs> would agree. So they were allowed five minutes in the car to cry, right? That's uh-huh. it. Right, and what happens is when they're doing it, like they start laughing because like three minutes, three five minutes is a long time to cry. <laughs> it's, a long time. it's a long time to cry, right? So like three minutes in, you can hear this like trying to cry, but you can't keep crying. And I have it on my timer, right? I'm like, no, 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 no. You have two more minutes. Yeah. Keep, keep crying. crying. Keep, keep crying. crying. And they would both start laughing, and then that was the end of that. Yeah. Right. And uh, and listen, not everybody cries, right? Yeah. But yeah. my kids would get disappointed, and they would cry. Yeah. I, I shed plenty of tears over this game. Right, but that was like our steadfast rule, and, and I got it from my dad. My dad, when I ski raced, if I'd had a bad run, he would let me go from the bottom of the chairlift to the top and cry. Oh. But at the time I got off the top, we weren't going to talk about it anymore, and no more tears. Yeah. Halfway up, I we were laughing and singing a song and talking about something else, and I was yeah. over it. Yeah. So it's not my. I just stole it from my parents, right? Because mm-hmm. it worked for me, yeah. and. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just think Bill's the same way. Like, if we have, the only thing I do feel bad about for our children is, <laughs> like, there isn't a story that we can't top, right? Because we've played so much longer. <laughs> so, they want to wallow in the nine they made, right? I was coming down the stretch, and I blew a lead, and I made a nine, and this is what happened. And then both of us would be like, oh, please. We made 11 on tour, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I think that, um, oh, you know, God. we're old enough that we can laugh at ourselves, doesn't mean we don't get disappointed. It doesn't mean that Bill doesn't get disappointed in, for me if I've had a bad day. Sometimes you also have to kind of be on the person's side, mm-hmm. right? And say, I get it, you had a bad day. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Not, don't worry about it. You have a lot of other things going on in your world. You have two great kids. I already know all that, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I wanted to play good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I wanted to play well and I didn't. Did no. you ever consider, um, because you said that you joined the LPGA first, yeah. the, the teaching part. Did you ever consider kind of like going climbing that ladder versus the PGA? Honestly, I didn't. They had a governance structure much smaller than, it's still much smaller than the PGA's because the LPGA has about 1,800 members. About 500 of them are uh, international members. So they have about 1,200. See, we really didn't have a lot of interaction. Yeah. So I didn't understand the governance model 
to be honest with you. I, you know, just had the young children. I was working, and I, I wasn't really sure. I knew they had a couple tournaments that I could participate in, some education seminars that I liked going to, but oftentimes it was five or six hours away. Um, so I got more integrated when it was more localized in Connecticut because I could yeah. see and under, kind of understand. Yeah. I could meet people. It was harder to meet people yeah. in the LPGA teaching division because we were so far apart. It's still harder, in my opinion, to meet people that are LPGA because I just get to see PGA professionals more often because we get together more often. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, but it wasn't because I didn't want to. I just didn't. I didn't really didn't understand the structure. Do you guys ever work together? We do. We work together a lot. We collaborate a lot, especially over the last four or five years. So we collaborate now with PGA Junior League, with LPGA Girls Golf. We collaborate with KPMG, Women's mm -hmm. PGA Championship. Um, and we're going to continue. We collaborate on our tournaments. So we let LPGA professionals play in our national PGA Women's Stroke Play. And they let PGA professionals that are women play in their national championship. That wasn't, oh, that was cool. like unheard yeah. of. Uh, three or four years that ago. Makes sense. It makes a lot of yeah. sense. <laughs> so, would you guys ever just become one entity or is it beneficial to keep it? Um, you know, we would probably like to do that at some point. I just think there's a lot of uh, factors that are involved in making that happen from both sides. Right? The PGA of America long ago um, did not allow women mm -hmm. as part of their organization. They didn't allow women until 1978 uh, to become mm -hmm. a member. And so they've been two distinct organizations for a very long time. The PGA of America actually funded some of the startup for the LPGA uh, teaching and club professional division. So it's just a matter of history for some women yeah. who you know want that moniker, want to be LPGA, they want to be with women. Um, but I do think unification of all the allies, I don't mean under one name, but I think the more we can all work together, because yeah. uh, we all have pretty much the same goals. We all have yeah. a little bit different relevancy. The USGA obviously is a rules body, the RNA is a rules body. You know, Augusta National does a lot now in the junior golf space with us, um, PGA of America, PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, First Tee. So all of us really have one goal, right? To make the game, to leave the game better than we found it. And how do we do that in a way that's unified with our resources? We all have plenty of resources. And how do we get this game more diverse together? How do we get more people on golf courses? How do we get more clubs in people's hands that can't get on a golf course? And how do we do that together? So when you say, should we, should we become, I do. I, I, I believe ultimately one of our goals at the PGA of America is to do far more together mm -hmm. than as little silos. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for meeting with us. This yeah. was great. You're so welcome. Hey. I only talked about me that we should have talked about you guys. No. <laughs> yeah, our, our listeners know way too much yeah, about no, us. They've heard enough about us. So this was yeah. way more entertaining. I think the only thing I would leave them mm -hmm. with is, you know, enjoy, enjoy the journey. Yeah. Right? Don't don't forget to keep your eyes open. Don't forget to go to places in the cities you're in. Hmm. Don't forget to spend a couple hours uh, seeing some cool new site or having food in some great new restaurant or I don't know, doing something fun that's that's outside of golf. Right? You don't have what you have right now for very long. You get to travel and journey with friends and, and practice and play your craft uh, as best you can. And that is really special. But don't forget to don't forget to look along the way. Thank you again. Thank you guys. Thanks for all you. you're doing. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening to, to Birdie Cast. Cast.